As we've studied the book of James, James has told us a lot about what not to do. But in this section, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, he'll give us a divine prescription of what to do in troubled times. Are you in trouble? Are you sick? Are you happy? Have you been struggling with a besetting sin? Well, these four categories James will address in this message. And man, how we need to hear about this divine prescription for troubled times. It's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. So what do we make of the oil? Let's talk about the oil for a moment. Some people have argued that in the first century, oil was medicinal, and it certainly was. It was recommended for toothaches and the like. And so oil was an ancient medicine. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says that he came to this one taken among thieves and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him, Luke 10, 34. And so there is a place in the ancient world for oil being medicinal. Ancient sources talk about the medicinal value of oil in many different contexts, but not for everything. But in fact, there's even an ancient source that says it's the best even for paralysis. What James may be saying then is the elders should come to the bedside of the sick person armed with both spiritual and natural resources. That's a possibility. Maybe they're to pray and the oil is more medicinal. The prayer would be then uh, with the oil and with the laying on of hands perhaps. And there's a twofold idea. Evidence that anointing oil was used for any medical problem, though, is not found. And why mention it only, uh, only one, albeit widespread, remedy when many different illnesses would be encountered? Why just bring oil, in other words? Secondly, says this author, why should the elders of the church do the anointing if the purpose is solely medical? If you need your back rubbed with some oil, you probably are not going to call one of the pastors, right? And I hope you don't. As another pastor put it, you may be ready for that, but we're not ready for it. <laughs> so great discernment is obviously needed in these moments. If you're sick, hurting, need a bone reset, don't call us. <laughs> in the sense, if you just need medical attention, right? But if you need prayer we should be the first ones you call, right? Especially if you are dealing with a grave illness. The second view, first was medicinal. The second is oil was used sacramentally. A sacramental understanding of this practice arose in the early history of the church on the basis of this text. The early Greek church practiced what they called euk elion, a combination of the words uk prayer and elion oil both used in this text, which had the purpose of strengthening the body and the soul of the sick. The Western church continued this practice for many centuries, as well as using oil for anointing on other occasions. Later, the Roman Catholic Church gave the priest the exclusive right to perform the ceremony known, to, known as extreme unction. And this ceremony is, if you're in the Roman Catholic Church and you are on your deathbed, 
And the idea is that you are probably going to be moving on and leaving this world. A priest comes with oil and anoints you in this ceremony to prepare you for the next world. And so extreme unction is the idea. Making sure that you're right with God in these final moments is the idea. But clearly, this developed sacrament has little basis in James' text, says uh, Douglas Moo. He recommended anointing for any illness <clears throat> uh, and associates it with healing rather than preparation for death. So he's not calling for the elders of the church to pray for you to get ready for you to go to heaven. He's saying they should anoint you to pray that you would stay in this world. Everybody with me? So the idea of coming with oil and interpreting James' passage in this way doesn't fit with the context. There are some that believe the oil could be considered to have a sacramental function in that it could act as a vehicle of divine power. Much as partaking in the Lord's Supper could convey a strengthening grace from the Lord. So some would say that the oil perhaps is set apart especially for the Lord in the healing of the sick believer. But I would say that we must be careful that we don't place any magic in the oil. We must be careful that we don't take an element like oil and think that somehow if we show up with it that we're going to get God's favor. There's another view, and it's probably the view that most of us would hold, that the oil was used symbolically, illustrating the anointing of the Holy Spirit and his special love and attention to the sick believer. Uh, oil was used in the Old Testament, for example, to set aside priests when they would, or set aside uh, kings and priests when they would enter into the ministry. The key idea is to be set apart for God's special attention and care. And so I think a good place to land here is that when you come with oil and a group of elders to the home of a sick person and anoint them, you are especially setting them apart for the operation of the Holy Spirit to move in their life. You're saying, Lord, we're coming in obedience to you with this oil. Luther and Calvin, by the way, just so you know their view, argued that this particular practice was limited to the apostolic era or the apostolic age. So Luther and Calvin, we may respect in many different areas, but they argued that James' passage here has nothing to do with the ongoing ministry of the church, was relegated simply to the ministry of the apostles. So that the apostles were, were able to do this, but no one besides them. But why would James tell the elders of the church? He doesn't address the apostles to go and pray for the sick person. He says the elders should go and pray for them, which would indicate that this is in the local church and in the ongoing ministry of the life of the church. Still others argue, and I don't want to weary you with the positions, but I think you do need to know that this was merely an ecclesiastical transaction. It applied to the time because there was no modern advances in medicine, but has been superseded by modern medicine, doctors, medical equipment, medicine, and the like. We no longer need to do these kinds of things, they would say, because God has provided, and certainly medicine and doctors and advances are from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And so since God has given knowledge to men, we don't need to do this anymore. But though this is true, and though I would encourage you, if you're sick, to go to a doctor, even Paul had Luke as his medical physician, I would still say that you should pray and go to the doctor. <laughs> One does not eliminate the other. 
God could use a medical procedure to heal you, but he also could use the prayer of the elders to heal you. And we just don't know because we are not in the throne room with God and we don't know the full mind of God. And so we have to just simply operate in faith. What I would say is that physical healing, I believe, is the topic, not just spiritual healing. And physical healing is always something that comes under the sovereign uh, banner of God's will. So applying the oil to the sick person is a rich symbolic act, setting the sick person apart to be ministered to in a special way by the Holy Spirit, but also by the church. R. Kent Hughes says, it represents the healing power of God, the Holy Spirit who watches over believers when applied by the loving hands of the elders. It is a profound vehicle for comfort and encouragement. And so the New Testament does uh, teach us that healing was often accomplished without oil. So if, if you're somewhere and somebody says, I'm sick, I need prayer, and you start reaching in your pockets and you don't happen to carry olive oil around with you, be of good cheer. You could pray for that person without the oil and God still will hear those prayers. Many, many people were healed in the ministry of Jesus and otherwise with, uh, without oil. Notice we are to pray. If you look at verse 14, we're to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now I'm going to park here for a second to explain. When you pray in the name of the Lord, you are not just saying in Jesus' name. You're praying in the authority of the name, what the name represents, all that is imbued or within that regal name of the name of the Lord. Just by saying, Lord, what are you, what are you saying? You are sovereign. You are God. You are Lord. I am not. You master, me servant. So that when you pray in the name of the Lord, you are praying for the will of the Lord to be done. You are calling out to him saying, Lord, we need you. We're obeying you, but, but you are sovereign. So the name of the Lord has fuller layers or implications than just simply tagging a prayer in Jesus' name so that it'll work or showing up with some oil so that we can do another thing that may work, quote unquote. It's the idea of his authority and his will, all that is in his name. And here's where we get the sticky part. And the prayer, notice it doesn't say the oil. It says, and the prayer of faith, ESV, New King James, or offered in faith, will do what? It will restore or save. The Greek word is sozo. It's the word often used for salvation. It will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, literally if he's been constantly sinning, they will be forgiven him. Now, the word for prayer here is a petition to God. It's UK. And it is, it, it implies a strong, fervent petition. So it is certainly, the word is to cry out to God on behalf of this individual to show up with the oil, with the elders, and to say, Lord, we're coming in faith. We're not being double-minded. We believe in you. And so it's the prayer offered in faith or the prayer of faith. And notice how categorical James seems to be. He says the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. 
Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California, or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. And notice how categorical James seems to be. He says, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Some have found some solace with the idea of spiritual weakness here because if it's not a physical ailment and let's say that the person is on a sick bed because they sense that their sin has brought them to the sickness. Let me explain. We know that the Bible teaches that some sickness is the result of sin. Jesus at the pool of Bethesda heals that man who's been there for many, many years and he says to them, he says to him, now go and sin no more lest anything worse befall you. In 1 Corinthians, we know that the church is told that because some were abusing the Lord's Supper and making a mockery of it, some of them were sick and some of them even had died. There is a place in the Bible to relate sickness to sin. But not all sickness is a result of personal sin. You could say all sickness is the result of a fallen world in sin, but it's not all because of personal sin. Who sinned, Lord, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither him nor his parents sinned. This has happened to him that the glory of God might be made manifest in him. And so we need great wisdom here. Now, if we were to show up and pray for somebody and somebody said, I'm, on a si I'm in a sick bed and I've been running from the Lord and I've been a prodigal and I'm sick to boot and I think this is the disciplinary hand of God, what are we going to do? We're going to say, well, maybe you need to do some business with the Lord. Have you done some business with the Lord before you called us? That person might say, yes, I've repented of known sin, but I still want you to pray for me because I'm still sick. These are the aspects of this particular section of Scripture that we have to keep in mind. There's honesty and discernment needed. And the prayer of faith will restore or save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. What are we to make of this prayer of faith? What is it? Is it a blanket promise that any prayer, if I could just muster up enough faith after I've anointed someone, and here's typically what we do. We take oil, we put a cross on somebody's forehead, anoint them in the name of the Lord, draw a cross, if you will, on their forehead, and we pray. 
Is this saying that if we simply have enough faith as a group of elders, this person is going to be raised up out of their sickbed? I hope not. <laughs> Let me tell you why. There's been times when I've been in a room and felt like I had more faith than maybe I've ever had, and that person wasn't healed. We do need to keep in mind that James puts no timeline on what will happen. He doesn't say the, people, the person will be raised up immediately, although in New Testament healings, that seems to be what happens. You pray for them, and immediately, like the beggar at the, the beautiful gate, you know, he's jumping up and leaping up and down, and so it would seem that it would be immediate, but James doesn't say it's immediate. Could it come in stages? Perhaps. The text is silent. What is the prayer of faith? Is it simply just having enough faith? Is it simply a hard enough petition? If I just cry out to the Lord with fervency, then he'll hear. If I yell loud enough, if I jump up and down, I don't know. I don't think so, though. Then what is the prayer of faith? Well, you'll have to come back next Sunday to <laughs> find out. Because I've been told you guys don't want me to preach longer than 45 minutes. Is that true? It's not, that's not true? It's just on certain Sundays, right? <laughs> Let me just tell you where I'm going to set the table. Because I don't want to leave you just with that. I do believe that there's a good case to be made. That in a situation like this, a special endowment of faith will be given from God to the elders. Maybe uh, an extra measure of faith. Maybe a gift of faith, 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll look at next time we're together. Maybe a special endowment of faith in the moment to, to be so in line with heaven's will that we just kind of know that God is going to heal this person. Or God just sovereignly wills the healing and so he imparts the faith and the gift of healing to the elders in the moment. But I will say this. We still cannot remove the sovereignty of God. You all know God does not heal everybody. Paul prayed three times for that thorn in his flesh to be removed. And what did the Lord say? I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. So there's some qualifiers here we need to look at. The Lord is ultimately sovereign over healing. And each one of us, unless we die of natural causes, are going to die of our last disease. It is a mistake with often tragic consequences. Please hear what I'm about to say. For someone to take these verses in James, see it as a blanket statement that every time you do this, someone's going to be healed. And if that person isn't healed, then what do we have to do? Well, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your prayer. You didn't have enough faith. He didn't have enough faith. She didn't have enough faith. And then we start getting into the blame game. Look, we, we know that the Bible in the New Testament honors faith. Your faith has made you well. Jesus said that on numerous occasions. So I don't want to downplay the importance of faith, but I also want to be careful that many people who advocate that God always wants to heal and he's going to do it in every instance are up at pulpits wearing eyeglasses and toupees. And I have to say, some of them have even hidden that their wife was in the hospital dealing with cancer while they're up in the pulpit praying that, uh, preaching that God always heals in every circumstance if you just simply have enough faith. I think you all know by the whole of the Bible's teaching and by experience that that's simply patently false. 
And it creates more problems than it solves. Amen? Amen. So as we move through a text, and I said at the beginning, you may have more questions now than answers. I think it is legitimate as students of Scripture, and I know, you know, personally, many of you who walk into this place, and this is what you expect, right? You want the Word of God to be taught, and you want honesty when it's, it's not as clear or easy in navigating a passage, and this is what we have to do as we tackle our Bibles. And so I, I have kind of set the table for you. I'm going to get a little bit more in depth in the endowment of faith in the moment, and we'll look at some things to connect that as we uh, move into next Sunday. But I will say this. Notice that the prayer of faith is the call in verse 15. And the Lord is faithful to hear prayer, respond to prayer, and to forgive us. He's so good. I mean, if he didn't care about you, he would say, don't even bother. But he says, call to me. Well, Father, with that thought in mind, Each time we bow our hearts as a congregation, we are standing upon promises that you've made to us that when we pray, heaven is enlisted. When we pray, evil is resisted. Mountains are moved, your will is approved when we pray. And Lord, forgive us, because I think I could confess this on behalf of many, that we are often prayerless or our prayers maybe are not as deep and profound or even as lengthy as they should be, or maybe some of us just need to learn to pray. And Lord, we need to be a church of prayer because you've called us to pray and you respond to prayer. This passage makes that clear. And so thank you that you do. Thank you that your ear is open to the cries of your people. Thank you that you cared about us so much that you entered time and space You came to rescue us. The Lord Jesus Christ even prayed. He showed us dependence on the Father, the power of the Spirit in a life. He was everything that man was intended to be. And as we look at his model of touching people, of reaching out in love, and prayerful dependence on heaven's power, well, Lord, we can do no better than that. So, I just want to ask, Lord, as each of us allow your word to just go down a little bit deeper in our souls that we would respond with prayer. Would you keep your head and heart bowed? If you've not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the first prayer needs to be, Lord, save me, save my soul. Forgive me of my sin. I don't want to do life without you. Thank you for that rescue mission. Pray it if it's you. Thank you that you died on that cross for me. Thank you that you rose to defeat the grave, which is an enemy and creates fear. Thank you that you're alive. And because you live, I will live also. I turn, I repent of my sin, and I put my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. If you've been backslidden and maybe you're going through some stuff and you know it's a consequence of sin, then this would be a good time to call upon the Lord and ask help from heaven. He will hear your sincere cry and and meet you where you are. He'll restore you, but he'll ask you to be like the prodigal and run home to your father. And Lord, for this wonderful congregation that I know prays for one another regularly, prays for 
its elders and pastors, I thank you so much for them. I am humbled, I am honored when they say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. It means more than I think they even know. And I thank you for the love of this body, the community of saints. May you grow us in our dependence on you and our love for one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you a little bit about a college that we have going. It's called the Truth Academy. It meets at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, and it's an apologetic school with also an emphasis on theology. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to be more equipped to share your faith in the public square? Well, this school will help you. And here's Joe Kelly, the director of the Truth Academy, to tell you more. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Boy, has there ever been a time where the need has been greater for God's people to know what they believe and why they believe it? Well, the Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So I'd encourage our listeners, Pastor Michael, to go online to thetruthacademy.com. Take a look, see what we have to offer. Our classes are available either in person if you live in Southern California Or if you want to take a class online, that's available too. You can learn from the comfort of your own home. Once again, that's thetruthacademy.com. We look forward to having you as a student in the near future. Thanks, Joe. That's exciting news. Thetruthacademy.com to give reasons for faith, reasons for hope in our culture. Man, it's so desperately needed. Check it out today, thetruthacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.